Well, good morning. Welcome to Thrive. I'm excited for everybody here. I'm excited for everybody that's listening online. I'm just excited to be together, honored to be worshiping together. And you know, we have a motto here at Thrive, don't just survive, thrive. And the way we do it, we do it in three words. Grow, develop, succeed. We're growing a kingdom. We're not growing a church, we're growing a kingdom. We grow a kingdom, God grows the church. We develop, and how do we develop our character? So that way, people, when they look at us, they can see Christ in us and then succeed. We succeed by doing the call God has designed and planned for us in our lives, in our local church, and in our community. That's what Thrive is about. If we're doing anything else, we're not thriving, we're surviving. And this church, we thrive. Amen? A couple weeks ago, I finished off a series on detoxing, and we started off with visions and dreams before we got to that. And in order for your visions and your dreams to come to pass, we realized we needed to have a cleansing. We need to cleanse our spirit, our soul, our body from toxins that we pick up throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the years. Because there's a lot of toxins in this world. I mean, every time you watch television, there's toxins all over television. Anytime you go to work, there's toxic people at work that, that bring you down. There's all kinds of toxins. Now, just because you have toxins with you uh, does not mean that you're not born again. It just means you need a little bit more cleansing so you can hear God. Because it's hard to hear God when you're full of toxins, because when you're full of toxins, you have all this guilt and all this shame, and it kind of clouds the voice of the Lord in you. So what you have to do, you have to go through a cleansing process. Then today I'm going to start a new series, and it's, it's called Common Questions. Last year, um, we called it something else. I think it was At the Table. But my goal every year is to have a certain portion of time where I just answer questions. Questions that are the most common questions to people. And next year, what I'd like to do, I tried to do it this year, but we got caught up in some stuff. I was talking to Pastor Misty about this. But what I'd like to do is around Easter time, around Passover time, I would like everybody to have something in their hand, a piece of paper, and write down a question. And then what I, my goal is to do this. My goal is to get all the questions together and answer four, five, or six of the most asked questions in a series. And so that way what we do is we're, we're taking care of questions that are commonly asked. And then if I see that year after year that some of the same questions are coming up, then what we'll do is we'll do a whole series on just whatever that question is. So that way we can start handling things. But that's, that's kind of throwing it out there, throwing out the vision, what we're, what we're doing. And you know, there's all sorts of questions that people have all the time. But there's some that go again and again and again. And so today I'm going to talk about, you know, like being stressed out, you know, having, not having enough time to get things done because so many people, they're, they're too busy. They just figure they don't have enough time, you know, fly, their perception of time is, it, it is every year it keeps getting faster, but 24 hours is still 24 hours, 60 seconds is still 60 seconds. But our perception of time is that it's moving faster. We perceive it that way. So what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about handling stress. How do I handle stress? How do you handle it? In Job chapter 9, verse 25, in the New Century Version, it says this. It says, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without my seeing 
any joy. And, you know, that's kind of the way it seems to me. It seems to me that when somebody says, oh, man, I'd like to get together, but we're just too busy. I just don't have enough time. I don't, you know, I'm too busy. I'm too this. I'm too that. And, and this is the deal. I remember years ago, I had a youth pastor, Jeff Lyerly, and he's come here and preached a few times. But he came, um, he came with me. He was working with me in Arkansas. And he originally came with me from Virginia. He went to Raymond. And from Raymond, he came out to Arkansas and worked for me as youth pastor. And then I introduced him to a guy named Buzzy Sutherland. And now Buzzy Sutherland, just to kind of give you a... He, if you just listened to him and talked to him, you would just think that he was the most ignorant redneck you've ever met in your life. I mean, he one day when I was leaving, he had these shorts that came down to about here. He had these wingtip shoes on with these black socks that came up to here. His belly came out to about here. He's probably about this tall. His hair that he, that he had was a little curly and tried to put that thing over. You know what I'm talking about. He had a wife beater on, suspenders, and then he had a Hawaiian shirt that was buttoned about here so you could see the hairs on his chest. Now, he didn't dress that way on Sunday, but that's the way I saw him during the week. But, you know, I would sit in his office, and I would, I would hear people like Kenneth E. Hagan calling him up, Kenneth Copeland calling him up. Some of these faith TV ministers, you asking him questions. I'm thinking, this guy's got something. Well, anyway, I introduce this guy to Jeff Lyerly. And, and he gives Jeff his phone number, tell, call, call me anytime, and, you know, whatever saying he said, you know, Matt is a wet hen, you know, something. And, and he would throw some saying out there that I'd have to figure it out because I'm not from around there or here or too much anyplace else anymore. So... He runs into Jeff one day, and uh, Jeff goes, man, I was, I was meaning to call you, but I was too busy. He said, you have time for whatever you want to make time for. You're not that busy. So I never told him that I was too busy to call him. I just told him that I didn't call him, and I just left it at that. This is not in your notes, but... There's some things and four reasons why I've come up with why people seem to be so busy. And you can write this down if you want. The, number one is this, you have too many choices. You know, when I was a kid, there was only seven channels on the television. Well, I was from Southern California, you were, you know, not. We had, Holly, we had the real Hollywood. Florida has the fake Hollywood. Anyway, just, just messing with it. So, so I had seven channels. Now they have 700. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just too many choices. It, it, was, it was so much simpler when we didn't have all these electronics that help us out because we actually went outside and played with other kids. We developed relationships. We were creative. We played things that, you know, you'd go to jail for today. You know, we had these little, these little guns, and we'd play army, bang, 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 bang. And, you know, man, you, you talk about stuff like that, you're suspended from year, a year in school. We didn't have all the crazy stuff that was going on. We went to the park. We went to the playground. We learned how to do real-life relationships. We have too many choices. The second reason why people get so stressed out is there's too much social pressure. We're trying to live to pr please everybody else. 
We're living somebody else's life so they can live vicariously through us. Instead of living the way we were called and designed to do by God. I'm going to tell you the worst people for this are parents. You want your child to be a doctor. How do you know they're called to be a doctor? Did God tell you that? What if God called them to be an underwater basket weaver? Now they're not going to be any good at it because you didn't teach them how to hold their breath for a long period of time. The thing of it is, instead of, instead of trying to have your kids live through or do stuff that you think that you should have done and you didn't want to do, or maybe it's something you're doing and you hate doing it, but you know you make a lot of money, so you want them to make a lot of money, so you try to force them to do it too. You know you're living a miserable life. Don't make them live a miserable life too. Anyway, think about that. Number three, we believe we can have it all. I'll tell you what. What I looked up was this. It's crazy, but 60% of all Americans spend either equal to or more than their income. Because they want it now. I got to have it now. I can't wait for it. Well, you have an 850 credit score rating. You go. Cha-ching. And then the more you get, the more you get, the more you get, then all of a sudden you get to be around my age, which is real young, by the way. And you go, oh, I've only got so many years before I'm going to retire, and you know, otherwise I've got to work until I die, and you know, well, I can leave the debt to my kids. You know? I mean, all these things started going through your mind. Stress, pressure. You just can't keep up with it because it's going to catch up to you. Then we believe that we can do it all, and what we're doing is we are overestimating our abilities. And when you start overestimating your abilities, it'll work on your health, it'll work on your relationships, it'll just cause stress. But see, God wants the stress to be reduced in your life. He wants you to live a peaceful, harmonious life. But we have a very hard time doing that because of those four things I just talked about. That's the truth. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about because we all deal with this stuff, right? So if you want to live a better life, because that's what we're trying to do, live a better life, right? You need to do a few things. The first thing you need to do, this is in your notes. It is better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. If you want to do more of what matters, then stop doing less or start doing less of what doesn't. Eliminate that stuff. Get rid of it. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't matter. They're not essential to your life. And I'm going to show you some statistics here. See, people think that, well, if I have $1, $2 is better. If I have this, then this is better, right? Everybody thinks more is better. Well, let me show you something about more is not always better. The average lifespan of an American is a little over 78 years, okay? Most kids start eating fast food at the age of two or three years old. The average person, the average American, eats out 4.2 times a week because we're too busy, you know, to, to cook because we have all these jobs, we have all this stuff going on, so it's just easier to go out, okay? So that tells me the average American eats 16,380 times out in a lifetime. That's a lot. Out of those 16,380 times, do you realize 1,700 of those times are going to McDonald's? 
Anyway. The average American watches five hours and four minutes of TV per day. That's 35.5 hours weekly. Slightly over 77 days per year. That's 15.8 years of your life watching television. But we're too busy. Because if you ask those same adults, you know, hey, can you come help out at the church? Oh, no, I'm too busy. Well, why don't you cut out one of those TV watching days and give God that, uh, those hours that day? Guess what? We'd be more, you'd be more productive as a person. We'd be more productive as a body. Amen. The average American spends five years waiting in line. One year looking at, for misplaced items. Leah said mine is five times that. <laughs> so I must be above average. Drives 627,000 miles, which is 25 times around the world. In 2017, the statistics for a person spending time on social media was five years of their lifetime. So you spend almost 21 years of your life on social media and watching television, but you just don't have enough time. It's... Be I'm just saying. So in other words, more is not always better. Ecclesiastes 4.6, it says this, Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So less in this case brings peace. So less will bring peace. More doesn't bring peace. When you have to have more, 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 then all of a sudden you have stress and you maxed out your credit card. So you, now you've got to go get another one. Then you get this credit card to pay off this credit card to transfer the balance to that credit card. So all you're doing is robbing from Peter to pay Paul. And at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to pay. For, after a while, the credit card say, companies say, we're not doing that with you anymore. Then all of a sudden you miss a payment or two, then your interest went from, I don't know, say 6% or 15, whatever the percent is, and now you have 30% interest. I mean, the debt for the average American is crazy. We spend way above our means. So if you want to live a better life, remember less can be better than more. The next thing you need to know is this. It's better to live by design and not by default. It's better to know what you were created for and to live by that, to follow that course, not to live a case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be type life. That's what most people live. No offense to people who are watching online or are from around here or from around anybody else, but let's just take church, for example. See, don't take church like que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Because if you do, you're only going to go to that church because your mamma went to that church and they put the first brick in that church and dug the first hole in that church and you might not be getting anything out of that church. Why don't you go to the creator who designed you and ask him what church you need to go to? And if Thrive is not that, it, maybe you can come talk to me. Tell me a little bit about your background. I'll help you find a church so that way you're not looking at the 593 churches that are in Greenville. 
I'm not telling you that I want everybody here. Well, I mean, I probably do want everybody, but, but, but if you're not supposed to be here, I would rather you be in the place you're supposed to be because I want you to be productive Amen. in what God's called you to do. Amen. And the reason why churches are not productive is because we stay in the same spot because, oh, ma'am, I went there, and oh, papa, I went there, and so, you know, we got to go there. But if the pastor and the minister is not the person who's supposed to be feeding your life, why are we going there? Anyway, that wasn't even part of this. You have a design. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. God created you for, to do great and mighty things, and you have to be in a body that God has called you in so that way you can do that. You can do it in your local body and in your community. That's what part of our vision is at Thrive. Our vision is not to kick you out or put you in here. Our vision is to minister to you and equip you and give you the tools that you need to succeed in life. And if you're not getting the tools that you need from me, you need to go to the place that you get the tools that you need so you can succeed. Amen? Amen? So don't just do it by default. Do it by design. See, most people never tap into this because most people, Christians included, don't know God. They know about God. Well, pastor, what do you mean? All right, glad you asked me that. It's a good question. <clears throat> what I mean is this, and I've used this analogy years ago before, is let's pretend all y'all here are worshiping God. Let's say some people, they got their you know, moving and grooving on. Some people are like this, holy, holy, holy. Some people holding the TV, holding the TV, holding the touchdown, you know. I mean, people worship in different ways, right? Let's say you're doing that, and all of a sudden, this guy comes walking through the door. You don't know him, but he touches everybody on the front He just touches them. That's basically what most people's relationship with God is. Oh, he touched me. Oh, he but they don't know the person who touched them. So every Sunday, this guy comes in and touches them. You don't know that person. You don't know where he's been, but you know every Sunday he's coming in to touch you. So one Sunday he doesn't come in. Like, man, where's this guy at? That's the way most Christians are, and that's why they leave churches, because they think that all of a sudden they didn't get touched, so God's not here. Did you know that? And that's the truth. See, God's deeper than that. He's deeper than a touch. See, if I have to feel it, oh, 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 yeah, if I have to feel that, there's a problem with me. See, because I'm in love with my wife, and I don't always feel, ha, ah, <laughs> I mean, if she, if she looked at me and she saw me like that, she'd be, you sicko. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes when, when she'll say something to me, and it just crosses me a little bit, and I don't feel a, oh. There's sometimes God's going to say something to you that's not going to make you feel all. <sighs> but what do you do? You don't quit God. You make a choice. You make a choice to stand by, stand by your man. You make a choice to stand by God. Right? That's what you do. You don't just do things on a whim. Psalms 139, 16. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them 
came to be. You realize that God ordained every day for you? There's a, every, well, you know, just because, just because it happened doesn't mean God ordained that day. He might have had a better day for you. You just chose to walk another way. Now, he knew you were going to walk another way. He opened up another door so you can get back to the path that he wanted you to go. So when people do this, when they say, well, you know, it must be God because it happened this way. This was God's will. No, it was not God's will because God's will is for all to be saved, but we know that all are not going to be saved. That's what the Bible says. So just because it's the will of God doesn't mean, we'll give you another example. The will of men wanted a king. The will of God was to be king. The will of men put Saul as king. That jacked everybody up. See, if the will of God would have been accomplished and the will of God, or the will of man would have tapped into the will of God, <coughs> excuse me, then everything would have changed. We wouldn't have had the history that we have now. It would be a totally different history. See, so just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so many people, this is where they get messed up. Well, you know, God meant it to happen that way. He, well, he knew it was going to happen. Just like I'm going down the road. It's raining. I'm getting too close to a car. I hit the brakes. I start hydroplaning. I hit the car in front of me. I didn't, it wasn't my will to hit the car in front of me. It was because of my erratic speeding and mashing on the brakes the way I did. So I knew I was going to hit the car before I hit the car because I was sliding into it. I saw it. Well, God sees that before you were created. He sees everything that you're going to do before you do it, but he gives you a way out so you have a choice every time. Amen? All right. So the next thing that we need to know is this. It's better to get the right things done, not more things done. The status of success is not being busy. The status of success is being productive. Because you can be real busy and not productive. Matter of fact, most busy people are not productive. They think they are. How do you know if somebody's busy? Come to my house and I'll show you. A productive person, when they work on something like the bathroom or the living room or whatever, they work on one room. They finish that room before they start another room. A busy person will start here then start over here, and then start over there, and 10 years later not have their bathroom done. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been to my house. <laughs> anyway. So, like I said, busy people, they're really seldom productive. Some, they, they will get some production done, but, but seldom they'll really complete a lot of tasks. The Bible says in Proverbs 17.24, in the Good News Translation, it says, An intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. You know when a hunter goes out, he doesn't sit in his stand and go, You know, I wonder if there's any deer in those bushes, and just start, bah, 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 bah. Did I get a deer? No, he sits patiently. He's quiet. 
He waits for the right time. He sees the deer come. And just because he sees the deer, he doesn't shoot. And he doesn't think, well, man, if I just keep shooting, I'll just hit that deer and get, get a bunch of rounds into him. No, he waits for the proper time. He takes aim, and he hits the proper spot. Right action. That's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to take aim. We're supposed to take a look at things. We're supposed to do the right things. Just not, just, we don't have to do a whole lot of things. We just need to do the right things. And we have to have the right opportunity. So now I gave you three principles that you need to know, right? And a lot of people, they go, well, thank you, Pastor, for telling us what we need to know. Now let me give you three principles on what you need to do. Because it's one thing to know something. Like I know when my car is going on empty because I see the needle going down on the gas gauge, diesel gauge on the truck. But unless I knew that I needed to go to the gas station and how to put gas in the car and how to do, unless I knew the process of that, it didn't matter how much I knew I was going to run out of gas. If I didn't know how to fix the problem, I'd be in trouble. So here we go. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it said, Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, there's things out there trying to hinder you, trying to stop you for what God has designed you to do. And you know, there are traps that the enemy's trying to use all the time to stop you that we call, we'll say, sin. But just because it says the word sin, that doesn't necessarily mean all the bad stuff that you do that's gross. And that's... Well, what else does it mean? It means taking the wrong path. So... You could be going down the road, not doing anything wrong, and you could be sinning. Why? Because God wanted you to go that way. You're on the wrong path. And when we're on the wrong path, that's it. You realize that anything that's not faith is sin? See, that doesn't seem like it's doing something so gross and so, oh, wow. Oh, oh, ah, but someone who's on the wrong path is linked equally to someone who's doing something. So what are you saying, Pastor? Let's quit judging other people. Let's start running our own race. Let's start focusing on what we need to focus on. Instead of pointing the, the problems of other people out, I'll tell you, if you have a problem with other people, pray about having a better relationship with God. Because if you have a problem with other people, your relationship with God is hindered in some way. Now, I didn't say having a problem with what other people do. Because I have a problem with certain things that people do, but them as a person, you have to learn how to split that like the Red Sea. And if you can't split that, then Houston, you have a problem. So what you need to do to run your race, number one, regularly take inventory. You know when most people take inventory? Funerals. 
Most people start thinking about their life at funerals. Somebody passes away. You know another time when people take inventory? When they start getting older. They start looking back and all the stuff that they didn't do. Do you realize if you would take inventory 5, 10, 15 minutes a day, something like that, that you would live a better life? You wouldn't have as much stress. You need to ask yourself and evaluate yourself, what should I be doing that I'm not doing? And if you do this and you get this thing, all of a sudden you'd be like, okay, now I, I, can, I can start seeing it. So Psalms 39, 4 and 5 in the New Living Translation says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. So Jesus just said, life is short. Pay attention. He said, my life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. See, the reason why we need to be reminded of that is because no matter what age you are, if you're reminded of that, you'll start putting first things first. You'll start prioritizing. You'll start seeing some things in your life that you need to change. Well, pastor, what should we take inventory of? Are you ready? Now, this is not your notes, but I'm going to give it to you. Number one, your faith. You need to evaluate your faith. You need to look at it every day. You need to look at, number two, your family. You need to be evaluating your family, your family relationships, and things like that. Another one, your employment or your job. You need to be taking a look at that every day. What am I doing or what am I not doing? What, God, show me, reveal to me. Do this 5, 10, 15 minutes, you know, just get this stuff together. Another thing is your finances. Don't wait till the end of the month to figure things out. Have things figured out before the end of the month comes. Then you won't be shocked at the end of the month. This one's a good one. Your attitude. If you have an attitude of gratitude, then all of a sudden things around you seem to be much better even if they're not. If you have a very grateful attitude, you're grateful for being alive. You're grateful for all the things that God has given you. You're just grateful. You're grateful that, that uh, this great day. You're grateful the opportunity that you have to talk to other people, to be a light to the world. If you just are genuinely a grateful person, even if all hell is breaking loose around you, you'll have peace in the middle of the storm. Amen. You'll be living a better life. And the last one that I wrote down is your calling. Most people are not doing what they're called to do. And we need to take a look at that. Evaluate your calling. Take a look at it. God, and even if it is your calling, God, am I doing the calling the right way? Will you show me a way if I'm not doing it right? Open up the way. Open up the path for me to walk into. Father, show me the stuff I need to, to, to just not do anymore that's wasting time, that's causing me to be too busy, that's causing me to be stressed out. To tell people that, man, I'm too busy to do my calling. you got to remember what you were called to do, you were designed to do. Amen. You weren't designed to do your job. You were designed to do a specific call that God has for your life. And on that job, wherever you're at, you're designed to use that calling on that job.
I worked at uh, Home Depot the first year I was at uh, Rama. And I remember Kenneth e. Hagan, he was, I was a little upset because, you know, I came from where I was already in the ministry before I went to Rama. I already went to another Bible college. And I was a little upset because I felt like a peon, you know, because I, my ego was, was so great. But I thought I should be ministering from the pulpit and this and that and this and that and this and that. You know, this is a 10,000-member church. I came from a 175-member church, you know. You know, just totally different mindset. And so I remember Kenneth Hagin saying this. He said, you don't have the right to minister in my pulpit just like I don't have the right to minister in yours. He said, whoever pays you, that's the church you pastor. I went to Home Depot that day. I prayed over every single aisle. I was pastor. I was pastor in the church of North Tulsa Home Depot. And I got paid by them. So I was in the paid ministry. So I remember there was a, another, well, there's a few Raymond kids that, that were there, and they just saw all this favor on my life. They just saw God just really opening up doors. There were customers that would call and ask if I was working that day because I would walk them around as they would buy two, three, four, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of stuff for their homes. But the reason why they would come by wasn't that I had all this knowledge about the stuff I was talking about. It's just I was so in tune to them. And I so much connected with them, and I was able to minister to them, pray with them, and all that stuff. And one of the policies at Home Depot is you couldn't preach to people, to the customers. One of the policies of the customers is they wanted me to preach to them. <laughs> so guess who won? The one who spent two, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at the store. They, they're the ones who won. So what I did is I started teaching these Rama students how to minister on the job. This is not in my notes at all. This is all good stuff right here because I'm going to give you a practical thing you can do right now. If you're at a place, I don't even care if it's a, the school or any place that has separation of church and state, there is always a way to minister. And the way you minister is introduction. And you introduce yourself or whatever, and you talk to them and ask them where they're from. Nine times out of ten, they'll tell you that they're from here. And, when I was, and I wasn't from Broken Arrow or Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, you're really from here? I said, I didn't think anybody was from here. And they kind of looked at me, where are you from? You know, once they asked where I was from, I told them. Then they would ask me what brought me there. So I already knew what they were going to ask. I set them up. <laughs> so it gave me an opportunity to give them a testimony of God. And at that point, all of a sudden, you start connecting. Then they come back. Maybe you'll connect with them right then. They'll, they want you to pray for them because maybe they're, but maybe they might be atheists. I've had atheists. I've had homosexuals, lesbians. I've had them all. And they'd all come back to the store to talk to me because I don't judge them. Because just like I said, if you're walking the wrong way, you're equal to them in sin. Okay? So by doing this, by design, what I'm doing is I'm walking in the calling of my life. And that's what we need to do is we need to walk in our calling. My calling was a pa as a pastor was way before I first started pastoring the church.
But in my life, God set me up in areas to kind of fine-tune that so I can start walking in it. So what do you need to do? You need to start walking in the calling of your life. You need to start evaluating your areas. And then number two, you need to make the tough decisions. What do you mean? Well, especially if you're a people pleaser. If you are a people pleaser, it is going to be tough not to try to please people and make the wrong decisions. Why? Because you want everybody to be happy with you. Let me say this again because I know I've said this for years and I'll keep on saying it. I don't care what you think about me. I only care that I'm doing it the right way out of love. Because if what you think about me and you're offended because I'm praying for you or I love you or I'm trying to give you the best whatever, that's on you. That's not on me. If you want your answer, go to you. If you want my answer, don't ask me. If you want God's answer, let's do this together. Because if I give you my answer, it might not be God's answer. You might not like what I have to say. So let's just go to God, and we'll go to God together. Amen? All right. So find the things in your life that are hindering you from moving on and let them go. Drop them. You know, there are things that are taking you on off course. I'll tell you what, law enforcement gave me a, a different perspective. And it really helped me out in some areas in my life that I never really thought about. I'll give you an example. One of the lessons that I learned is sometimes what I'll do is I'll take inmates from the jail to court. And when I do that, I have a chance to minister to them, to talk to them, but they have something called inmate games. And what an inmate game is this, is they're looking for what's, what, what they call a duck. And what a duck would be would be a correctional officer or a deputy or a police officer who they can manipulate and they can get in with and they can get them to maybe bend the rules just a little bit. Just bend the rules a little bit. Then they'll get them to bend them a little bit more because what they're trying to get trust in them. Then what they do, and they, they do it, they have a whole group of people like doing it together. They work on it together. And then what they do is they get that correctional officer, that deputy, or that uh, police officer into position to where if they say anything, that person's either going to get fired or they're going to get fired and go to jail. Hmm. Well, pastor, what did you learn? The lesson learned here is this. If you learn to say no, you'll trade popularity for respect. Because I'm a person who is a rule person. I've taken these inmates, I've taken them to places to have surgery, to have all these things done, and I'll come back and, and I'll have compassion for them, and I'll stop by Chick-fil-A, and I'll get them some Chick-fil-A. And this is what they tell me. I, every time, most of all, I won't say anything. I said, if I'm doing something wrong, then let's go throw this stuff away. See, because they're trying to get me to think that I'm doing something wrong, that I'm bending some rules, because they're trying to see if they can play me. Well, that happens all the time in life. People are trying to play you. And people won't respect you if you bend the rules. They might not like that you keep the rule. They might like that you give them something. But really, at the end of the day, they won't respect you. They won't trust you. They won't think you are a person of your word. I would rather have respect than be popular. I'd rather somebody, I'd rather if somebody came up to you and said, you know, ah, Pastor Rick, he was out there carousing with all these women. Oh, no, he wasn't. Why? Because I know him. 
you must have been talking about a different Pastor Rick or you're just lying on him. See, I would rather have that respect. Because why? Because I can be more effective than when I speak into your life because you know that I'm up front and I'm not saying something that's going to be, I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm not trying, you know what I'm saying? So I learned some things in this. This pr principle not only works like in the jail, <laughs> it works on your job, it works in your house, it works in your community. You know why a wife doesn't respect her husband? Because he bends the rules. What? Yeah. He doesn't love his wife like Christ loved the church. See, where the Bible says submit, that means respect. What a man needs more than anything else is respect. What a woman needs more than anything else is love. So because a man is bending the rules and not loving his wife like Christ loves the church, he's bending the rules so it's causing the woman not to respect. But if the man starts loving his wife like Christ loves the church and gives himself down to her, then all of a sudden, respect starts coming in by course. It's designed that way. Isn't that cool? Psalms 90.12 in the Living Bible, it says, Teach us to number our days and recognize how uh, few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. In other words, we need help to understand how to live, how to spend our days. Amen? And it's easier because it's, it's easy, it's easy uh, if we have help because it's hard to say no a lot of times. If you have friends that are around you, it's hard to tell them no. Alexa is perfect at this. She, she hates telling people no because she doesn't want to make anybody unhappy. And I get it. She's got a lot of compassion. A lot of, she was always that way. I mean, birds, cats, dogs, people, it, didn't, it doesn't matter what it is. That's Alexa. And she got all that stuff from her mother, which I'm trying to learn some of it. So there's an evaluation, there's an elimination, and the next thing is there, there's got to be an execution. And that's number three, focus on what matters. You got to focus on what matters the most. See, it's okay to do some things that don't matter, but focus on what matters first. Put first things first. The Bible says this, in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So put first things first, right? When you put the first things first, when you put his kingdom first, when you put God first, when you put these first things first, then everything else takes care of itself. Amen. Anytime I ever have problems, you know, where people talk to me about stuff and they, their, their marriage is going this way, that's a, <clears throat> I say, okay, we're not going to talk about the other person. What? No. You can't change the other person. Do you realize in a relationship, if you want to change your relationship 50%, you have to change 100%. Because they are the other 50%. So if you want that relationship to go up, you need to change. Well, what about them? You don't know what they did to me. Jesus went to the cross. Right? And we know what they did to him. He still went anyway. So if we want it to work, we need to have a closer relationship with God. And the closer relationship we have with God, the better relationship we're going to have in our house. So what matters? I'm glad you asked me that. The first thing that matters is God matters. That's the number one. Why? 
Well, because doesn't the Bible say that every knee will bow? Every tongue's going to confess what? That Jesus is Lord. So God matters. Because that's going to happen to everybody. Not everybody's going to own a home. But everybody's going to bow their knee. Not everybody's going to have kids. But everybody's going to confess. Not everybody's going to get healed, even though they should. But everybody's going to say Jesus is Lord. So God matters first. Luke 12, 15. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard, lest all kinds of greed a man's life does uh, not consist of the abundance of his possessions. In other words, he was telling this guy, that, or he's telling these people that, look out, be careful for all this stuff. But then what goes on in the story, this guy doesn't agree with him. And this is what Jesus said. Check it out. He said, but God said to uh, him, you fool, this very night your life will be, will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, Jesus said, you can't bring it with you. He goes on to say, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. In other words, God matters. Stuff doesn't matter. Things don't matter. God matters. You coming to church on Sunday doesn't matter if God is not the center of your life. If he is not number one in your life, then all of a sudden, if he's not at the top of your list, guess what? He's not on your list because God doesn't take number two to anybody. Well, you know, it's hunting season. Well, let me tell you, if you feel that hunting season is so much more important than having this thing with God. Well, God understands. He understood Adolf Hitler too. Didn't mean he agreed with him. Yeah, he understands we do this stuff. Doesn't mean he agrees. God matters. Number one, prioritize. Philippians, Paul got this. Philippians uh, 3, 7 and 8. It says, but whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So no matter what I thought in my own worldly thinking, hunting, fishing, boating, camping, whatever, no matter what I thought, the most important thing to me was Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Did what? He lost all the things that were not important because he let them go. Why? He said, I consider them rubbish that I, might, that I may gain Christ. Christ is the most important. God is the most important. Guess what? If God is the most important, then number two is going to be easy. People matter. Because God's most important gift was Jesus for people because he wanted people to be saved. People matter. Do you know, we don't even care about people in church anymore. We care about our little religious thought patterns. We care about maybe how many seats we can fill. I want seats full, but I don't want them full for the same reason like everybody else might want them full. So that way they can say, look how big we are. We are so big. No, no, no. I want them full 
So that way people can get the tools they need to succeed in life. And you know what else I want to do? I want to open more churches and send people from here to go start churches. I want to send even people that are attending here to help people start those churches. Why? Because I want, pe I want the world to see not how big Rick Becker or Thrive is. I want the world to see how big and good our God is. Because when the world sees that, I mean, guys, after people, Galatians 5, 13 through 15, it says, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he said this, everything is summed up. Everything in the Bible is summed up as this love your neighbor as yourself. People, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will uh, be destroyed by each other. So if people don't matter with you, you better look out because you're going to get destroyed. It's coming. Ecclesiastes 4.12 in the New Living Translation. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, even better, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. People matter because we weren't created to do it alone. We are created to do it together. And last but not least, God matters, people matter, eternity matters. Matthew 13.44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This analogy is this guy found this treasure in this field. And he knew that treasure didn't belong to him because he didn't own that field. So he hid it in that field. And he took everything that he had. He took every possession he had. Even if the field was as big as this table right here, he took everything that he had. And he sold it all just for the field because he knew the treasure was the most important thing out there. He's talking about eternity. Things that really matter are eternal. I'll tell you what, if it doesn't last 100 years, it's definitely not worth it. A hundred years might, you know, it might not be eternal, but it's got some significance. But eternity, something forever, that matters. At Thrive, this is what we're called to do. As a church, we're called to get people born again. That's what, once we're called to get people born again, then what we're called to do is disciple them. Connect with them. That's what connect groups are about, is getting together, getting to know each other, discipling each other. It's not about just a Bible study. I mean, anybody could do a dry Bible study. It's about getting to know each other and, and, and fellowshipping with each other. And, and if you have some problems, you could say, hey, I got some problems, and bleh, throw it up all over them. It's okay. Just clean it up. But that's what we're to do is, is when somebody tells us, then all of a sudden we get with them, we love on them, we pray for them, we encourage them, and, and, and that's what it's about. That's what Thrive is about. Grow, develop, succeed. How do you succeed? Well, man, you could be in that Bible study, you can be in that small group, it could be a golf group, whatever you want to make it, it doesn't matter. You're in that group and you're succeeding when you're ministering to that person who's all over you. When you're giving them the love and the compassion and the hands and, and the feet and the mouth of Jesus, you are succeeding at that point because the way you're succeeding is you're giving light to Christ and you're giving them hope to succeed and to conquer. 